0: Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Brewing with you for a preseason episode. Rick, basketball right around the corner, not too far away. Last time we talked, Trey Green had just committed, but a lot of news since then. The schedule's been released, uh, and Xavier's landed three more commitments for the 2023 classic. Read Ducarm. Is it Ducarm or Ducharm? Ducharm. Ducharm. Okay. Yeah. Dalen Swain and then Kachi Enze. I did look that one up to make sure I was was getting that one right. Uh, three three different commitments uh, to add on to the Trey Green commitment that they already had. So four commitments right now for the 2023 class. I know there was some some uh, tentative fans going into this August period of people being like, "Oh my goodness, he hasn't he hasn't landed anybody yet," and all of a sudden, in the span of about a month. The Miller regime lands four recruits, and one of them, as you've written a lot about in Trey Green, you feel like is a, a very high-level recruit, and then you have three different guys in Reed and Dalen Swain and Kanche uh, Enzi, who I don't want to say are projects, but maybe more of a work in progress than who you feel like, Rick, is the home-run recruit in Trey Green. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about those three, go- three guys that have committed to the Musketeers since we last talked.
1: Yeah, Trey Green, we talked about on that last episode, but like you alluded to, I think he is special. I wrote this yesterday on Musketeer Report that there are certain guys where you watch them as high school prospects and you just say, I'll be shocked if he isn't a productive really good college player. Trey Green is one of those guys was falling into that bucket for me. And I listed all the Xavier guys. I think I came up with nine guys that I would say were on that list for me. And you can find that at musketeereport.com right now. But when you look at the careers of those guys, yeah, I tried to do my best because obviously this is doing it in hindsight, but I tried to do my best to say, here's how I felt about them at the time that they committed. Here's how I would have ranked those nine guys. I think I had Trey Green, Trey Green fourth or fifth on that list. And when you look you at the did. list of players, it's some pretty special guys who had pretty special careers. So I do think he is going to be uh, really, really good.
0: I, I I won't spoil the whole list, but I will say that you had him sandwiched at fourth in between Des Wells at three and Najee Marshall at five. So if that gives yeah. anybody listening an idea of where you have Trey Green and how how much you feel like he'll be An impact player at Xavier. Now, when you're looking at that list, Rick, and when you're putting it together, are you putting that together to say that right away next season, you feel like Trey is going to be a a pretty much an instant impact? You feel like he has that college level type game right now that he can be an impact player right away? Or do you see that that list is a reflection of where you feel like he might be as a senior
1: yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily either. It's not really um, tied to when I think he's going to start impacting the roster, just that I'd be really surprised if he isn't a very good college basketball player. And now you may say, oh, yeah, I'm ahead of Najee Marshall. Najee Marshall is in the NBA. Now you think he's a, a better prospect than Najee? Again, I'm going back to at the time that they committed, how confident I was in them being a productive player division one college basketball player at Xavier and Najee obviously had some more long-term upside in terms of his pro prospects because he's six, 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 seven, whatever he is. He can be a defensive minded wing in the NBA and brings a lot in that regard. Trey green doesn't necessarily have that as a six foot ish point guard. You know, maybe he's not going to be an NBA player, but again, uh, in terms of how, uh, good he will be at the college level. That's how confident I am in him now everyone has their own path. So will he contribute right away? If you look at that list of guys that I laid out there, most of those guys did something as a freshman. Now, it obviously depends on what the roster is like when you get there. If there are guys ahead of you, you might not be asked to do as much, even if you're ready. If there's no one there, like Samaje Kristen, who was, uh, I think, two on that list, he had no one there to take the point guard position when he got there, and he was obviously the best player. So immediately, he had a huge impact. So I would say it's quite possible that Trey will have a big impact as soon as he arrives on campus, but you know, there's, there's still going to be some like Desmond Claude could play a lot of point guard this year as a freshman. And then by the time Trey gets there, you've got a point guard who's already played a lot of minutes there coming back for his sophomore season. So it's tough to predict exactly how his path will unfold. But again, I just think he's going to be really good.
0: And I thought one of the interesting things that you mentioned later on in that post on Musketeer Report was you did that post as a list of five things, five things that you were maybe looking at from the 2023 class. And right toward the end, you made a point about the roster turnover and the roster overhaul for next year. And before we get into the other three recruits that have have committed, I I thought you made an interesting point about how you felt like maybe Cam Craft or Desmond Claude or Cesar Edwards. There's a legit possibility that one of those three guys could be the most productive returning player from last year or well, this year from the previous season. Um, So when you look at how that roster could shape up next year, when you look at guys that are probably going to leave, sure. We're going to keep talking. I feel like we're going to keep talking about COVID years forever. I was just talking to somebody today at work about, oh, you know, so-and-so with a COVID year. And I was like, if you really do the math on how long these COVID years can get, dragged out, I feel like we're going to be talking about COVID years forever.
1: Yeah, it's it's been really annoying to try to sort through roster situations and try to factor in, does this guy have, oh, he redshirted once and he has a COVID year. Where does he line up now in terms of the eligibility that has left? And and by the way, how long does he want to play? Does he want yeah. to be a 23-year-old college basketball player, or a 24-year-old? A lot of those guys aren't going to do that. So yeah. I mean, if you look at this roster, Sule Boom, and Adam Kunkel will have no eligibility left. You have to assume Jack Nungy is done after this year. I think everyone agrees on that. A lot of people are surprised that Zach Fremantle came back for this year, whether it be Xavier or just yeah. coming back to college, period. So I think most people think it's, it's wise to believe that he'll be gone after this year. Colby Jones is getting pro looks already. I'm not saying he's going to be drafted in the first round after this season, but I think it would be unwise to approach this offseason as if Colby Jones is coming back next year. So you start getting through some of those. And then the other guys that you're going to factor in that would be upperclassmen, and we're talking about guys that really haven't found their way yet, that really haven't been contributors. So whether they stick around or not, it's tough to factor them in as one of your top producers, whether that be a Deontay Miles, whether that be a Kiki Tandy, whether that be a Jerome Hunter, any of those guys, it's tough for me to look at you right now and say, oh, yeah, those guys will be back on the roster in 2023, 24, and they'll be one of your go-to players. So I think it's very possible that we head into the 2023-24 season and you look at a guy like Cesar Edwards, Cam Craft, or Desmond Claude and think they're your best talent going forward.
0: Yeah, and then at the same time, along with all of that, you're looking at four recruits plus potentially an international prospect plus the transfer portal, everything else that's going to go into building that roster next year. And you have this year's roster, which seems to be, the last year of this stable unit of the of the shift and the transfer from where we saw Travis Steele's his unit from last year now to this year and then next year it's it's going to kind of be this new wave all this new blood that's going to come in and have if, if you're looking at that Cesar Edwards or even Elijah Tucker you know guys that we haven't talked a ton about Cesar Edwards got time this past season but Elijah Tucker that's a complete unknown right now. We can talk about more about him later as this podcast goes on. But you're not going to have a lot of familiarity on that roster next year that you're going to be seeing on the court in this 22-23 season, I think is is kind of what you're getting at.
1: Yeah, and I think the, the big point there is that's why this is going to be a big 2023 recruiting class. They already have four guys in it. And as you pointed out, I think we can definitely say at this point they are aggressively pursuing adding a fifth and, and that's not going to be a high school prospect from the United States. It could be an international guy who are on a little bit different timeline. That's why we're kind of in a, a holding pattern right now after you had those four commitments. Or it could also be a JUCO guy. They went out and saw a, a JUCO forward who we've been talking about on the message board over the last couple of weeks as part of this recruiting period that they're, they're currently in on the NCAA calendar. So it's going to be at least, I would say, a five-man class. And then I think you can go into next spring. You may see another guy transfer to that you weren't necessarily expecting. And, and I'm sure Xavier will be aggressive in the transfer portal. So it's possible they add as many as six, maybe even more. I imagine six is probably around the limit of new faces that you're going to see added to next year's roster. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely planning on a big overhaul. And that's why it was important, quite frankly, that they were able to tidy this 2023 recruiting class up in, in such a. A nice manner as they did. It was very efficient. They got the Trey Green commitment coming right after he visited. Then you get the Reed Ducharme commitment like a week later. Then a week after that, you get the Dalen Swain commitment coming right off of his visit. And then uh, a couple weeks after that, Kashi Enze visits Xavier and quickly makes his commitment as well. The way that they were able to close the deal on all four of those guys and, and get it back to back to back to like that to where you didn't have to wonder, okay, wait, should we, should we keep recruiting this other guy that's kind of interested in us, but we're maybe running second or third, or should we take a bigger swing? Like I can tell you right now, he just committed Taysen Chapman committed to Ohio state just today as we're recording this, he was a guy that Xavier was seriously in the mix for. And I think it felt like some things had fallen through on his end that maybe he was looking at initially. He might've been coming back to Xavier and, and looking at Xavier more seriously as of a handful of weeks ago, but I think Xavier had really already laid out their plan, and once they had Desmond Claude, and they knew they were getting Trey Green, it was like, I, th- like these are our guys. You know, we've we've already told Desmond Claude that. We're not recruiting over him where he's going to have a chance to be a point guard and, and combo guard and, and handle the ball in our offense. And we're adding a guy that we think is a star in Trey Green, who's going to clearly be a point guard as well. So Taysen Chapman is a guy who plays with the ball in his hands a lot. He's a combo guard. Yes, he's very talented. He has that ranking next to his name that makes him very enticing. But I think they didn't get too caught up in those situations where we don't know if we can get this guy. We're going to swing for the fence. Oh, no, we missed. And now we only have one guy committed and we're getting late into this thing. And, and we're kind of digging at scraps now. It just worked out really well. And I think that's because they planned. They, they spent a lot of time early in the spring after they initially got the job. They weren't too anxious and, and trying to make sure they sent out all these offers and, and wrap up commitments early in July. They said, we're going to evaluate. We're going to find the guys that fit what we want and that fit together as part of a class. And then once they found those guys, they were very systematic about how they went about recruiting them and and closing the commitments. And that's how you ended up with four commitments in a matter of about five weeks. And everything's pretty much wrapped up here from a domestic prep standpoint in the 2023 recruiting class.
0: And stylistically, to me, it's kind of a unique class when you look at the shooting that Reed Ducharme brings to the table, probably the best shooter, as you've talked about a lot on the summer circuit. And then you you look at Dalen Swain and also Enze, who has, I guess, a, a high ceiling and a low floor when when you look at the talent that Enze could bring to the table as, as far as a, a project big man goes. But I think the most interesting thing that stood out to me about Enze was the note that you put in one of the posts from a couple of weeks ago about how Sean Miller himself identified and and was saying that that's somebody I want to go after. That's somebody I want on my team. It wasn't an assistant coach passing along the information saying, Hey, we should get this guy. It was Sean himself saying, this is the type of player that I want. This is somebody that I want to go out and get. And to me, that speaks to the the ability of, of Sean to coach that talent, to develop that talent and to say to yourself, okay, this is, this is really when when it comes down to it when it boils down to it and you and you really look at it it's it's kind of the same kind of recruiting class as we've seen recently over over the last few years from Xavier as far as like trying to get a shooter trying to get a big man whatever fit those pieces in but now it's going to be okay can Sean develop those pieces can he go out there and and develop those pieces into uh into collegiate stars and I think you'd have to feel pretty good about what you've seen at at Arizona and especially at his time back at Xavier the first time like we know what Sean brings to the table as far as talent development goes and uh, I I don't think that there's there's any reason to think that if you're looking at Sean and you're saying to yourself okay why did he go get somebody who's a three-star unranked prospect why was he so high on them you and I could be sitting here three three years down the line and say to yourself okay that's why he went out and got him
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just never know with those guys who are like, I I broke this down too. I was looking through the last decade or so worth of recruiting classes. And if we're being honest, Xavier's sweet spot for the most part in terms of the majority of guys that they land and the majority of guys that they have a lot of success with seem to fall in that. 80 to 120 area in terms of their overall national ranking. I think it comes out to a, a, an average of around 100. If you find a guy around 100, that seems to be one a guy that Xavier usually has a chance to be in the mix for and actually land. And two, you find a lot of successful players around that that level. So that's where Xavier's done a lot of their work. And if you look at this class, you've got two guys right in that range: Reed Desharme, Daylon Swain, both right around that 100 ranking. Now, Trey Green little bit on the, the lower side. He's at 66. And, and I said, you know over the years when they've been able to land a Samaje Kristen, who was I think in the 30s, a Trayvon Blewett, who was right around that 50 number, maybe in the 40s, maybe later in the 50s, he flipped around right on either side of that 50 number. But again, right around 50. Uh, Najee Marshall, a guy who was around 50. Paul Scruggs, I, I think a lot of people maybe have kind of a sour taste in terms of how his overall career worked out and the era of Xavier basketball that he represented. But I think at the same time, most often you would take a Paul Scruggs on your team. He certainly played a lot of years at Xavier and was productive throughout those years. So he was one of the higher rated recruits, maybe didn't pan out the way some people thought he might, but a productive player who was inside of that top 50 ranking. So when you get those guys that trend a little bit lower, Xavier's had a lot of success with those guys typically too. So uh, I think Dwan Odom is maybe the one that you would point out where it says, uh, okay, he was, he was ranked high. He was top 50 at one point. I think he ended up around 60 ish and he didn't really work out for Xavier. He, He moved on. We'll see what his career holds going forward. I think there's still some upside there, but so that's, that's sort of how I break it down is if you have those guys that get closer to that top 50 number, it's not a sure thing, but those have really worked out well. Those guys around 100, there's going to be some hit or miss for certain as there always is in recruiting, but that's the sweet spot for Xavier. That's where you want to be. And then those guys outside, you know, you get outside the top 140, 150, or just unranked like Kachienze, and you have a, a lot more misses out of those guys. But there's plenty of guys to point out that were also hits from from that yeah. range. I mean, Colby Jones was like ranked 140, for instance, and he's going to be the best player on this year's team, I would assume. So, um ranking is not everything. But the reason I brought that up on that that column that I wrote uh, yesterday on Musketeer Report was that when you look at the way this class was put together, I think it's very easy, especially if you're a guy like Sean, who yeah, he's been at Xavier before, but Xavier's in the Big East now. They've made a jump up in conference, and he's been recruiting five-star type talents, not all the time, but he's landed a DeAndre Ayton, and he's had some really, really highly ranked players since he's been at Arizona. He's been recruiting at a different level. It'd be easy for him to come back to Xavier and say, Xavier's on the Bs now. I'm one of the top named coaches in college basketball. We're going to recruit five stars, or we're going to go after multiple guys in that top 50-ish range. And- I'm not saying that's a terrible idea, and I think some Xavier fans hope that Sean going forward will be able to do that at Xavier and take them to the next level of recruiting. But with this roster situation that we just talked about and them needing to turn over five, six roster spots for next year, probably, you needed to make sure you landed some guys and not guys that were outside the top 150 because those were the, the end of the scrap heap that you had left after you missed on your top targets. But you needed to land guys that you feel fit what you want to do, and will be successful at this level. And they ended up with a guy that I think is a star, two guys in that sweet spot, and then a project guy who, like you pointed out, I think it's notable that something I consistently heard as they were recruiting Kashienze was Sean identified him early and said, he's our favorite guy, favorite big man that we're recruiting in this class. And the reason I pointed that out is because something you'll see occasionally is Assistant coaches have their guys. They're all recruiting. They're working on their own guys. They don't ask the coaches' permit, the head coach's permission. Can I recruit this guy? Can I recruit that guy? They just go recruit the best players that they can from their areas, the connections that they have. And then when you get around to evaluation periods and it's time for the coach to go out or watch film, you say, hey, here's my guys. Here's my top guy. Here's my top three guys, what have you. And Sometimes there's a situation where a coach or some of the other assistants might not be a sold on a certain prospect. And you, as that assistant are bringing him to the head coach going, come on, you didn't see him when he played well, that, that one game in July that you saw him, he, he was terrible. Look at all this film. He's, he's really good. He's, he's had good games, all that type of stuff. So you, as the assistant try to sell the coach on taking my guy, I want to get a commit, take my guy. That's not at all what happened here with Kashienze. This wasn't one of the new assistants, Adam Cohen or David Miller saying, please, I want to get on the board. I want my name to be said as the the lead recruiter for one of these commitments. Take my guy. This was Sean Miller early on evaluating, really liking what he saw. And again, this is not coming straight from the staff. They can't comment on any of of these guys. This is stuff I heard from sources around the program and around recruiting. But uh, I feel pretty confident that it's correct. And I think it's notable that, If you're taking a chance on a guy, it wasn't a guy that Sean Miller had to be sold on. It's a guy that he feels fits what he wants to do. And I think if you look at Kashi Enze specifically, what types of things does he bring to the table? It's length, extreme length, elite length. He's got like a 7'2", 7'3", wingspan, whatever (laughs) it is, at 6'9". He's super mobile. He's he's great laterally. He can hedge screens, switch on to smaller players, and he can really sprint the floor. He was a track star. I think a lot of people have read those stories about him in the past. He was a track star up until he was about like six, 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 seven, something like that, and just kept getting injured too often and and had to change paths here. But we don't know exactly what Sean Miller's system is going to look like that he's implementing here at Xavier the second time around. But if you're looking at what he wants out of his big men, I think that's something I've heard consistently is mobility, agility. Elite length, athleticism, those types of things.
0: Yeah, and so going off that you touched on a little bit right there, but what do you think that a guy like that and the way that he recruited Enze and and what Enze will bring to the table? What does that tell you, Rick, about a Sean Miller team in two years?
1: Um, again, that that's tough to say, right? Like, because we hear a lot about wanting to play more up-tempo and I think Sean mentioned I feel that like that every I,
0: I feel like every coach we hear that exactly it, right around now it's like oh you know we want to get up-tempo we want to score a lot of points I, yeah. in fact you know what now that I say that I think somebody did a, a mash-up or a cut-up of, of all every the new co- coach That am I job. am I getting that from somewhere That's was right. that just like yeah. incepted into my brain no, there's yeah. two
1: of them. There's one that, that was the all the cultures. Every coach talks yes, about culture, yes, and then every yes, coach yes. talks about playing fast
0: and scoring more.
1: So Scoring
0: score more points, up-tempo.
1: Right, and, and so that's the thing you hear from every coach, and this time of year, it means absolutely nothing to me. Like, we heard Mick Cronin say that every offseason, and we know, we know he has zero plans on doing that. So, Sean Miller, he has mentioned multiple times, and this goes back to last year when he was doing some media stuff, that during his time off, He saw some things, he noticed some things, and he felt like there were some things he'd like to change. And when asked for specifics, he has brought up the idea of playing a little bit faster, especially on the defensive end, maybe extending the defense a little bit more. So I think that's probably where this comes into play is when you're talking about big men, Chris Mack really had a thing for finding a unicorn giant slow plotting big man. I mean, he was very good with Matt Stainbrook. He wanted Simbalar, all seven foot five, 320 pounds of them. Like he wanted taco fall. So Chris Mack was into that. And it was a little bit different game at that time too. I think you're playing two bigs together more often, but I don't think that's what Sean Miller wants from everything I've heard. And I think sort of that's where you're seeing that come into play. In, in terms of what will this look like in a couple of years, I can't say for certain, but I do think finding bigs that can really move and sprint the floor and get up and down is probably a sign that yeah they want to they want at least be more mobile on the defensive end if not running up and down the floor a little bit more
0: so Xavier's out on Bronny James <laughs>
1: <laughs> where did that come into play? Where did that, I'm, well, I'm missing the, the, the recu- connection here.
0: No, it's, the, well, I'm, you know, it's the recruiting class. It's You said the high school prospects just feel okay, like it's okay. over.
1: Yeah, I didn't know if there was a connection to like. No, the no, no we connection. Just I'm
0: just about. I'm just trying to wrap up the class here before we get into, into this season a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I think they are out on Bronny James for sure. I, I will say real quick before we switch off topics here, I want to, as we're talking about piecing the class together and why I think yeah. they did a really good job of being systematic and organized yeah. and knowing who they wanted being able to get Reed, to and Dale and Swain in the same class, I think is a pretty big deal. And I'm not super high on either prospect necessarily. In fact, like if you told me to rank these guys in the class, I would probably put them back to back. Like I feel value wise. They're almost identical. Now their games are opposites. They are very different, but I don't see one as being a better prospect than the other necessarily, and I don't think either of them are like surefire hits and like, oh, yes, they're definitely going to be good. But I didn't think you would find two guys who are pretty highly thought of, certainly recruited at a high major level, top 100 type prospects, playing basically the same position to commit to the same school around the same time. That very rarely happens. So I thought they did a really good job of handling that answering those two guys' questions. And now you have a guy in Reed Descharmes who's shown he can get insanely hot from the outside, put up points in bunches. Yes, he needs to be more efficient, shoot a higher percentage, not turn the ball over as much like he did this summer. But he gives you something offensively that I think this roster needs, period, which is guys that can put the ball in the basket and shoot from the outside. And then Daylon Swain gives you a long, agile, athletic defender who can get out in transition and maybe make some plays off the bounce in the half court as well.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the way you were writing those articles all summer, it, it just kept you just kept alluding to the fact that no, there's no way Dalen, you know, there's no way they commit to the same school. There's no way they commit to the same school. And then all of a sudden in the last week or so of the recruitment, you could tell the light bulb went off and, and something changed and you were going, well, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe maybe they will commit to the same school.
1: Yeah. And what I had heard was that Dalen Swain, this was right after Reed DeSharme had committed. Dalen Swain comes on his visit or I, I take that back. Reed DeSharme had not announced his commitment yet but Xavier knew that they were getting a commitment from him and that he wanted to commit. Dalen Swain is on his visit and he asks, this is the story I was told that he asked specifically about how does he fit in with those other guys? You know, like if Reed to commits do, do I lose my spot? And the staff said, no, we, we expect to take both of you. We want to take both of you. There was also Jamari McDowell, another prospect who they were in on at the time, who they said kind of now, if he were to commit, that would be your spot. You guys, we have you kind of in the, the same mold, in the same role. So yeah, that would take away your spot. It, it can only be one of you two, but we really want both you and Reed charm on the same team, and here's why, and here's how you fit together, and here's why we'll play you both together, all that type of stuff. I just think that's understanding what you want to do, having a plan for that, and then being able to sell that to the recruits in, in a manner where... They are on board with it, and also, let's face it, there's a lot of ego wrapped up in this stuff, both for the players and their parents. To make everyone okay with that and on the same page, I-, I think they did a really good job.
0: Okay, well, so that's the recruiting class. Let's move a little bit into the upcoming season. Practice starts uh, pretty soon next week, right?
1: Yeah, we're we're we are wow. like a week away from it. In fact, I think it's a week <laughs> from Wednesday. So that's uh, unbelievable. I'm not, yeah, I'm not. I'll, I'll confirm on the message board, but I think that's right
0: had feels like just yesterday and everything was going on with the NIT and now all of a sudden we're turning around and practice is starting and uh, we're here, Pauly. I'm ready. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I seriously, it feels like yesterday that we were in New York city or I was in New York city for the, for the NIT final. And, and now all of a sudden here we are and,
1: that's cuz you didn't started. have that long baseball season this year to to keep you occupied. Oh my so. god,
0: that's true. I was looking yesterday at the at the tweets from the minor league season cuz the minor league season ended. If you didn't make the playoffs, it ended on Sunday. And I was thinking to myself where I was when the minor league season started versus where it ended. I'll tell you what. It that is looking back at that season from last year and how some of these guys in the broadcasting world can stay in that for 20, 30 years in the minor leagues, like hats off to them. Cause it is a long, we don't need to get off on that tangent, but my, my friend, off to them.
1: Jim Kelch and broadcasting partner for NKU, Jim Kelch. Uh, he just wrapped up this week, I believe doing Louisville bats game. So I, yeah. I get it fully. Yeah. Uh, well, you we mentioned, we talked about practice starting next week. So let me just start yeah. it here. Uh, I'm going to write about this for the website kind of a a column similar to I did the five thoughts on the recruiting class. I'm going to do something with um, questions I have heading into practice or things I'm most excited to see heading into practice. Let me start there for you. What what stands out for you about, uh, you know, this isn't the same as, oh, what's the most exciting thing for the season? Because those are different things than what we're actually going to find out during a couple weeks of preseason practices. If you were to go in and watch all these practices, what would you want to see the most? What answers would you want to have or what questions would you want to have answered?
0: Yeah, there's a couple that come to mind first. And the first thing that comes to mind, and this is something you might answer in the post, is the pack line dead at Xavier under Sean Miller? Or do they, do you think they keep some elements of it?
1: I mean, I have, I have no idea. That's something I am definitely fascinated to see. We've heard so much conversation about that from Sean. Nothing specific about the pack line. Adam and I both asked him about that when he first got the job, the day he was announced as head coach at Xavier. And I did a little write up about it. And it sounded like he was certainly not committed to keeping the pack line system at Xavier. So uh, what will that what will that mean? Will it be a total overhaul and a total different way of doing things? Or is it just taking a lot of things you do in the pack line? But again, extending the defense a little bit more and applying more pressure a little higher in the half court, because that was something that he definitely talked about during some of those interviews over the summer and going back to last season.
0: I remember last year you and i went to i don't know if it was the first practice or was right around the first practice and you and i were sitting there looking at each other and and how some of these guys had transformed physically i remember uh, colby jones looked like a different person paul scruggs he had looked like he'd clearly been in the weight room over the summer even though he was going into year five with xavier so even as some of these older guys progressed through their career it's always fun on the first day of practice when the season starts to get out there and see, okay, w- which one of these guys took the transformation, which one of these guys had that great off season that maybe we were led to believe from the, the, the coaching staff or the sources in the program telling us, Oh, they had a great off season. Oh, we really like this guy. Or, you know, you hear about how much Zach Fremantle, how much publicity he's gotten over the off season and how good of a job he's done in getting ready for this year. And, Then you get out there, you roll the ball out there on the first day of practice, and you say to yourself, okay, you can't read too much into this. You can't read too much into the five-on-five on on day one on September 28th or whatever it is on a a first day of practice, but you can still certainly pick some things up right away. So are are there things that you're going to be looking for on day one? Is there something that comes to the top of your mind, whether it's somebody physically or whether it's Zach Fremantle and and whether he's going to live up to what we've been hearing through the offseason just preliminarily something that you're going to walk in you're going to sit down in the Cintas center rick on the first day of practice i wish i could be there but i'm going to be up in hamilton at my job yeah
1: to be clear i'm not sure how any of that works this year i don't know oh we'll true i didn't even think about anything that. new staff i didn't yeah, even a think about that little different yeah. era in xavier basketball so we'll yeah. see how much access we get going forward and all true. that it's we've been very very lucky the last 13 years that i've been doing this chris mack and and travis Steele both had a completely open door policy to where we were allowed to watch every second of practice and they talk to us whenever, pretty much. So we'll see how that goes going forward. I can't make any promises there, but I'll still obviously get insights and have conversations with people who are there every day, but,
0: but, but let's, let's pretend you are right. sitting down for the first day yeah. at CentOS next week. And what is the first thing you are going to want to look at?
1: Well, you, there, I'd say there's two things sort of towards the top of that list. And you mentioned Zach Freeman So I'll start there because I do think, while you know, we're not going to know is Zach Freeman having a bounce back year, so to speak, just by preseason practice, like he's going to look good during five on O drills, you know, he's going to look good going against Elijah Tucker, whoever's guarding him on the, on the first day of practice in the post, because he's significantly older. They play against each other every day, all that stuff. We won't find out really until the season starts if he's back. But the little bits and pieces we've gotten from Sean Miller so far have been very positive about how focused and driven Zach Fremantle is and how we, we need to see him because his body's in great shape and, and he's poised for a, a big season and all that. What does that look like? You know what I mean? Like they're seeing <laughs> something. So what will that look like on the first day of practice? I never thought that Zach has looked like uh, necessarily a bad practice player. He usually comes with pretty good energy and all of that stuff. But I am curious to see what does this Zach Fremantle bounce back year campaign look like over the first days of practice do we see any type of notable di- difference physically does he look different mentally does he seem like he's in a better spot or more confident is uh, his offensive game back in in some way that it wasn't last year so that's something i'll have my on. but i would say even more so than that i'm curious to see does sule boom belong at this level that's something that we may not know just from a few weeks of practice prior to the season but he better a ton hinges. On he better. Sule oh my goodness. He better. Right. I mean, like we're all just penciling him and saying, Oh, starting point guard, a guy who was a volume scorer, played some on the ball, but didn't play point guard all the time, played plenty of shooting guard at, in his career. We're just all saying like, yeah, Xavier's going to be fine. They're plugging another, another shooter at the point guard position from a, a low major school. I'm not convinced that that's just going to be a okay right away. So I'm interested to see, can Soleil Boom handle it at the Big East level? How does he look in practice? And him having a couple of good weeks of preseason practice doesn't mean he'll be a great Big East point guard. <laughs> yeah. But it, we also might know in those first couple of weeks if he's not able to handle it. If he can't cut it in those practices, then uh, you might have a problem on your hands. So I'm curious to see that just because I really don't know much about him. I've only watched his UTEP synergy tape, and that's it. So we'll see what he looks like in practice.
0: And that's going to be a fast moving turnaround if they figure out two weeks into the deal that they're going to have to figure out another option.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they've said nice things about him. So it seems like, you know, I know he he struggled with some type of injury when he first got here. So he missed a couple of weeks of workouts. He was a little slow to get get in the mix. So they haven't seen him as much this summer as they've seen some of the other guys in those four hours a week that they have to work out on the court together. But and uh, it, that's, you know that's a big I, plot point, I think, for this season.
0: The, the one thing I will add, and this is so minimal, it probably does not even matter, but I was around down by the court the entire time with uh, TBT was zip him up. And most of the team was there uh, to their credit. Most of the guys were there for that, for that week, um, including Sule Boom. And he was immediately right in the mix of like all the former players coming up and talking to him. And he seemed very ingrained in the po. Like that doesn't mean a, a single thing, for his on-court ability, but the way that a lot of those former guys and and the current guys, too, that were there together as a group, but the way that a lot of those former guys were proactively coming up, talking to him, reaching out to him, that clearly they had been at the workouts or seen him play, played together, practice, scrimmage, whatever it might be, Um that you know he wasn't getting the cold shoulder oh this guy's got something to prove it was he walked out of the tunnel and immediately was was swarmed by everybody to say hey and and check in on him so um that doesn't mean a thing it means zero but it's at least not a negative
1: uh you mentioned the pack line defense here when we started with this segment is there anything else that jumps out to you or uh, if not i've got another one or two here that i can i can get into that i'm pretty interested
0: in it, yeah the the one that i'm Maybe I'm one of the only ones that would be interested in this, but can we expect anything at all out of Elijah Tucker?
1: That's a good question. I would put that pretty far down the list for me because
0: I'm I'm not saying I'm expecting anything of him. I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, I I, I want him to be this. Obviously would be great for Xavier if he all of a sudden burst onto the scene and was a productive player. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just asking. Like he's been part of the program now for a couple of years. He's been around. He's practiced. He's been hurt, but he's not, he's not on the court. So right. is it just a wash and and it is what it is, or is there anything to? Have you heard anything? Is there any anything there on Elijah?
1: Yeah. So if you remember last year, he had most of his yeah. year basically just wiped out. He had uh, a crazy, I think it was like a heart condition. Is that right or brain brain it, condition?
0: It, I. I never got a clarification. On I can't it remember was. exactly. I think it was, it was a just brain, something crazy, a
1: brain. deal, Yeah. But anyway, he was in the hospital for like multiple weeks, lost 20 something pounds or whatever. I mean, just was seriously going through it right at the beginning of school, came yeah. back, uh, wasn't able to practice really until towards the end of the year. So he was never at all a factor last season, even in practice. The little bit I saw towards the end of the year, I didn't see any type of signs that would suggest He's going to be a contributor this year, so I would have that pretty far down my list of things I'm interested in, just because yeah. my expectations are so low for yeah, him right now. I, but yeah, that I'm being said, way. I would have, I would definitely be interested. Like, what does a healthy Elijah Tooker look like at practice? That he's had a normal offseason, he's gone through all the workouts. What does he look like on day one of practice? Certainly something that I'm going to be interested in when, if we get the opportunity to watch him.
0: So two more along those lines Deontay Miles is somebody that started games last year for Xavier somebody that Travis still had a lot of faith in early in the season was practicing well had that size they liked his athleticism and then all of a sudden after starting the first half of the season barely sees any minutes in the second half of the season still on the team this year and comes back under Sean Miller looking for more production do what are what are we looking for out of Deontay Miles this year
1: yeah, I mean that's I would if so if I'm ranking those kind of three guys towards the the bottom of the roster that you would say that that just weren't really a factor at all at the end of last year. You're talking about Deontay, Kiki, and Elijah, Elijah Tucker. Yeah. That's how I would rank them is in that order. I would say Deontay is the one I'm most interested in just because he's seven feet tall. He's athletic. He's shown some decent things. He has shot blocking instincts. He does everything you ask of him. Every single year we've heard during the offseason that he looks great and yeah. he's making progress. Even yeah. this one, Sean Miller has seemed to taking taken a liking to him. Now, we just spent a couple minutes talking about what they're looking for out of their big man position going forward. Deontay Miles possesses a lot of those things. So it would seem like he is in that mold that they are looking for. The question is, can he just do it in real time? at the college level? Can he handle the physicality? Can he process what's going on and handle a new system? Because it seemed like it took him a little while to get used to the old system. So uh, those would be my biggest questions. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely have that in my mind. I was like, does Deontay have a chance to break into the rotation? Because I don't know that the the minutes at the backup front court spots are clear right now, to be quite honest. So that would definitely be on my list. And then, I mean, look, as much as I'm uh, worried about Saying this for what it might mean on the message board, I'm Uh-oh. I'm slightly interested in seeing what Kiki does too with the a fresh start. Yeah, I mean he was a guy that was I'm with you. on the all freshman team, and we were talking about coming back as one of the most important players. Just it wasn't I, that I long ago. People,
0: so. I think people maybe they don't, but I I think some people kind of forget that. He was on the all-freshman team and produced at a pretty high level his first year. Yeah, but
1: don't get me wrong. I'm like one person who is 100% like, while I acknowledge that, I'm also saying he did nothing in the opportunities he got on the court that would suggest he could still be playing. I'm like, I thought that was the right decision to bench him, to be quite honest. But to your point, I think there's still reason to believe there might be some upside there. And certainly, I think he needed a fresh start at this point.
0: Yeah. And he, and he gets that now with the new coaching staff. So the last thing that I guess I would say I'm I'm interested in and interested to hear your thoughts too from practice is uh, that you have generally the same roster this year, obviously a new point guard, uh, but generally with Colby Jones, Jack Nunji, Zach Fremantle, you're seeing a lot of familiar faces there on the court that you saw last season. But with the new coaching staff, What's what's the difference in style of play for this year? What what and I'm not necessarily asking you to answer that. We can look back at what he's done at Arizona, um, but in general, what what kind of team does Xavier look like offensively this year? And if you have thoughts on that, Rick, obviously, or, or from things that you've heard?
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I know is exactly what you guys have heard as well. If you've listened to those. Interviews that Sean Miller did going back to last year as he was doing the the podcast of the Field of 68 and the one with his brother. Um, he did a couple of off season podcasts as well with people. And then after he got the job, he did a few more. So there have been bits and pieces of comments where he said things about what he might do or what he plans to do with a new job when he gets back into the game. And, and now that he is back in the game, I don't think any of those clearly answer exactly what a Sean Miller system looks like now at this point. So I guess Chris Mack and Travis Steele both came from the Sean Miller coaching tree. Basically, Uh, Travis got his start when Sean was there, and then he became an assistant when Chris took over. I think most of the things they did came from Sean Miller era Xavier basketball. How much of that is going to remain the same? I think a fair amount. But there's no doubt that we're going to see some differences. And I guess that's that's my big question when we get to practices. Are there other noticeable differences aside from uh, maybe changing the pack line defense? Is there something offensively that we can pick up on that they're trying to do more of? Um, and that just I have no way to answer that at this point. But it's certainly something that I'm interested in as we get into the next few weeks
0: yeah Uh, the schedule came out since the last time we've talked you and I'll do our whole schedule breakdown we'll we'll do our preview of the season as practice uh goes on a little bit you have a chance to see and talk about the team and everything so we're not going to do our whole preseason that's that's you'll know when that's coming uh down the line but the schedule did come out so maybe quickly we can go over this here for a little bit I thought Xavier's schedule and I was on the Twitter spaces with Fanta Uh, like right after the schedule dropped and we were talking about how Xavier's schedule set up. I don't always get overly excited about the schedule because we know what 20 teams they're going to play, what 20 games they're going to play. We know they have to play everybody home and away. It's Hey, just go do it. At some point, like you just got to go do it. But every once in a while, every, every few years when you get that situation where it's like, oh man, you're playing four game, four away games in this stretch with these teams and you have, a Wednesday and a Saturday, you know, you, you look at those things, it's like, why'd they do that? I didn't really see any of those on the schedule this year for Xavier, right? There was like February, they had four of their seven games or away, but was there, was there any stretch to you? I, I didn't see any stretch that stood out to me. That was like a debt. I mean, cause even the one that to me is like, oh man, is Connecticut Villanova Creighton on new year's Eve, then January 7th and January 11th. But two of the three of those, Connecticut and, U- and and Creighton, are home. And in between Connecticut and Villanova on the road, there's a week in between. So uh, you're smiling, though. So what, what were you going to say?
1: Uh, the only thing that uh, stands out to me is that last game on the schedule. I have to imagine the very last thing that Xavier fans wanted to see as the final game on their schedule this year was Butler.
0: Oh, Thad Mata at home on March 4th?
1: Well, I'm just saying from the standpoint of how Xavier's season has ended, I mean, isn't that isn't that how we've ended each of the last two seasons is them not finding a way to beat a bad Butler team?
0: I mean, Butler is is essentially, but well, it was DePaul in the in the Big East tournament in the COVID year, but they also could have basically clenched their NCAA tournament berth by beating Butler in the last regular season game. The last it's at least two, if not three years that Xavier could have beaten Butler and gotten into the NCAA tournament. And yeah. So, so last it, year it
1: was the, it was the biggest tournament when they lost to Butler.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the year before that
0: was it, the last regular season game, right?
1: Uh, No, it was the big East tournament on the Wednesday night game again. But so they I guess, all,
0: but, but wasn't that back to back? Didn't they play Butler in the last regular season game too? Or, or, was, no, or was, am I wrong? It was
1: at Marquette.
0: Oh, two years ago.
1: Yeah. The 20, okay. 20, 20. 21 season okay, uh, all was right. at Marquette on March 6th, the Saturday and then Butler at home, Biggie's tournament. Anyway, I've got a terrible memory when it comes to that stuff, but all I can think of in my head is Xavier not being able to find a way to beat a, a battered, bruised and beaten down Butler team multiple years to keep them out of the NCAA tournament. And this year, that last game of the regular season will come down to beating yeah. Padmada and Butler at home. And l- like, let's face it, maybe the Xavier team will be Way better than expected, and they'll easily be in the tournament by that point. But more often than not, Xavier is on the bubble when you come down to the end of the regular yeah. season. So uh, you have to imagine that game is going to play some type
0: of. Thing. Yeah, that Kamar Baldwin game. That was the COVID year, or well, the that was right before COVID hit. That was 2020.
1: 2019,
0: 20. 20, that was nineteen twenty. That was the one I was thinking of. So there was so that was the last
1: there. game of the regular season. And that so, was the
0: last game, but that was what I was thinking was. Too, I had I had my years mixed up.
1: Yes, so I I didn't remember exactly either because they played DePaul right after that in the Big East tournament and lost to DePaul as well. So they lost three straight there. That game should be expunged.
0: That game should be expunged. That is ridiculous (laughs) that that game. I mean, what?
1: I'll never forget that stretch for me because NKU won the Horizon League championship on Tuesday night. That was my first year calling games. So we win the Horizon League championship. I'm going to the NCAA tournament on Tuesday night. I'm eating pizza filled breadsticks at Kilroy's till 2am with NKU admin after the game. It's, it's bliss. Then the next night I, I get home, got to cover the Xavier game, 9 30 PM to Paul. And they, they lose that Loosen. game to what we think would keep them out of the tournament. I know there's people at Xavier that would argue with that, but whatever. And then by what noon on Thursday, was it?
0: Yeah, it's so everything was shut down. Yeah, Wednesday night, I was sitting at Dana's watching that game against Butler or that no, the DePaul game. I was watching the DePaul game in the first round of the Big East tournament at Dana's. And then that was at the same time when Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. I was sitting there at the same time. So then I was looking at one of my friends going, okay, what's, so what's going to happen here? Are we going to, are we going to keep playing this tournament? Because that was when the NCAA or the NBA suspended the season. So I'm going, OK, if the NBA is suspending the season, then what are we doing playing the Big East tournament here? And well, Xavier, like St.
1: John's and DePaul was playing the next St. afternoon or
0: something. St. Saint John's, I think, played Creighton the next okay. the next day, because that's when we got the red storm when 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 the when the bird was just sitting in the crowd at MSG, that's right, <laughs> sitting there by itself. And that that meme of the the bird just sitting up there by itself Um but yeah, that was that year. So now to tie that all back into the schedule this year, you have Butler at home. To, hey, maybe it's maybe it's some vindication this year. Maybe it's a new coach, a new coaching staff, some guys on the team that remember those things, and maybe maybe this year is a vindication. I I will say right now that I think that this Xavier team is good enough that that game won't matter in the sense of a a a bubble or a, I don't think Xavier fans will be worried going into that March 4th game on at home on senior night. I don't.
1: We will see. We will see. We
0: will see. We will see. But I just, I just don't think Xavier fans are going to be worried going into that game.
1: We might have just done the worst, like throwback callback segment in the history of podcast. No doubt. Not, not only did we remind Xavier fans about the turmoil and pain they've experienced for the <laughs> no last doubt. three seasons, we also did a trip back in time through COVID three years after the fact <laughs> no for doubt. no reason at all.
0: No doubt. Yeah. Really good work by us. Uh, but but yeah, I mean t- to to go off of that for a second, Rick, and I think Xavier. I think the national narrative about Xavier is starting to trend pretty positively. Yeah. It's it's Um, too positive. And, and if you look, if you're starting to look at articles that are coming out of of preseason predictions, if you're starting to look at things that are, are, are coming out about Xavier and the big East and where teams are going to land, the national narrative is really, I don't want to say this is in, it was ever negative, but it's really starting to turn positive. For Xavier, towards the point where he had Norlander saying they're going to be a, did he say they're going to be a top four team in the Big East or they're going to be a top four seed in the tournament? Because there's I, a big difference there. But
1: I make a point of not listening to Matt Norlander, so I could not tell you. But I,
0: but I'm saying that's a national voice that I, I know. That, I just I just missed it. Yeah, I don't have yeah, the answer yeah, for the oh question. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That 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 that's a that that's somebody that. Oh, there's has a, a lo- pretty big national audience that is giving Xavier the credit there to to finish toward the top of the Big East and Xavier's probably going to be the I would say fourth they they'll probably be betting the odds odds on it'll probably go Creighton Villanova Yukon in some order then Xavier. I would say that Xavier betting wise would probably be fourth on the list going into the season. Right? Would you would you probably agree with that? Yeah, that's so, that sounds about right to me. I would say
1: my guess would be fourth or fifth and that's I feel like that's right too. Like that's where I would have them going into the season, and I could see them being as high as second or third in terms of actual finish. But I just don't have a ton of confidence. I mean, I just as much as I know everyone is like, "Hey, huge upgrade at coach," and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I yeah. still just look at the roster and be like, eh, "It's very similar roster." If Sule Boom is not a a very good player at the biggest level, then I have some some concerns about whether or not this team will be on the bubble again.
0: And isn't this the exact same thing that a year ago, like to the day you and I were sitting here talking about where everybody was so excited going into last season and we were saying, and you and I had to sit here and say to, our, to, to everybody listening, hey, look, it's pretty much the same roster that missed the NCAA tournament the year before. Yeah. So And I said
1: at that time, I was like, I have major concerns about how they're going to be better at shooting than they were a year ago. And to me, that has been the biggest problem for four straight years is you have to shoot the basketball, especially if you're going to play the modern style of offense that everyone, including Xavier, has been playing in this era. You, you've got to make shots from the outside, yeah. and they just couldn't do that. So maybe it is as simple as shot selection, guys not having the right roles, guys not knowing whether they should be the one with green lights shooting as often as they are or uh, other guys being too timid at times, like Colby Jones, not necessarily as a three-point shooter, but as a a focal point of the offense. I think there are reasons to believe things will just work better and more shots will go in because of the way they're instructed and the roles that are defined and all of that stuff. But at the same time, I also think there are just as many reasons to be concerned that, hey, this team still might not be able to shoot because you lost Nate Johnson and he lost Paul Scruggs and they were like two of your better shooters on last year's team and the year before that's team and those two teams didn't shoot it well enough so those are just kind of my thoughts again I'm not it's not it's not that Xavier's gonna be bad they were already a team that was on the cusp the last couple of years most of those guys are back they finished off the season great in the NIT last year and they have an upgrade at the coach so I, I think that all matters and it's reason to have optimism but I would say I think the national narrative that we're starting to hear and it also feels like people see Sean Miller landing recruits and they're like oh bump Xavier up for this season. It's like, I mean, those guys are a year away. (laughs) They're not here. So, I mean, I'm not sure it says anything about this year's team uh, being in a better position or, you know, like, I I get that you feel good about Sean Miller and what he's going to do at Xavier. I think everyone does, but it doesn't necessarily mean that happens right away.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Rick, anything else here before we sign off?
1: No, I'm sorry that one got a little long. I'm sorry we got off the path a few times, but hopefully you, you find some valuable nuggets out of it.
0: Hey, you know what? If if we're going off the beaten path, I am going to plug my own podcast. If anybody wasn't listening, I was
1: going to ask you about, I was actually going to ask you about that you are doing. So I've been retweeting it. So if you're seeing things pop up and like not too picky <laughs> or chatterbox sports, you're like, Hey, why is Paul Fritchner doing stuff with uh, Tom Brenneman? Now T- take us through. You guys are doing a video YouTube show yeah can, can you also get it as a podcast
0: yeah yeah it's everything is available as a podcast so so just real quick in the in the 30 seconds here uh chatterbox sports is I'm working there full time I'll still do everything with Xavier uh and the big east this year I'll probably be a little bit uh more actually with the Big East, I'll be at media day uh in October that I've already talked to the Big East about some more things that I'll be able to do kind of going off of what I did like when I went down to San Antonio with Villanova uh in March more of those types of things this year especially as Fanta has some more opportunity that he's moved up the ladder at Fox so some of those things are being spread around um we'll see how that all looks when when we get into the season but um None of that is changing. I'm also doing the Dayton football play-by-play for their home games too this year, which has, I mean, had the first game on Saturday. That was how how Xavier
1: fans been taking you tweeting about Dayton football. Are Xavier fans enjoying that or no no feedback? uh, You
0: know, oh, is there really even? I mean, I know to the to the 40 plus audience here, they're going to say yes, but like, I know the 40 plus audience listening to this is going to just nails on a chalkboard, and maybe I'll lose some respect, but like. I got nothing against Dayton. My only, my only, my only experience. We did not
1: not clear that comment before we did this podcast. I'm not sure I might. No, I mean,
0: like, like my only experience is beating them. My best friend went to Dayton. Like if there was a rivalry there, yes, I would treat it like Cincinnati,
1: but you're, you're little brothering them right now. Absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm
0: 100% saying that, that like, I like they're like, not playing them. Like, I got nothing, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. You know, if if we played that, if if Xavier played them every year and that was a a game that, like, you got up for, then okay. But, like.
1: I I I love this. It's like, hey, if our uh, recap of the Butler and DePaul losses to end your season the last three years weren't enough, (laughs) also, I don't mind dating anymore. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to, I
0: mean, yeah, yeah, like, they're whatever, you know, and. They're paying my paycheck for football so all right yeah, all right i'll just see if you
1: got any any blowback on that go yeah go, go get me no. back to your
0: uh show yeah though. yeah so so what i would i would <laughs> yeah yeah uh so basically what i w- what i'm doing now is i'm working full-time too for chatterbox sports to start up local uh sports media company out of hamilton if you've heard of them uh, it's because they've done high school sports for three years now they started back in 2019 so they do a game day show every week on fridays if you see me tweet about that They do like a game of the week type show will be at Princeton Fairfield this week at at Nippert next week for elder and Moeller should be a good game. Um, So those kinds of things every Friday, but what we've started to do now this year, I started with them in August. I've known the guys that started it for a while. Um, They hired Tom Brenneman to give him a second chance at, at his career. So he comes in every day and does a, a two hour show from 10 to noon every day. It's on YouTube. It's also available on podcast format. If, you want to listen to that but i am also doing my own show it's it's you know tom's not on it it's it's my own thing um that i'm doing it's a sports betting show um called not too picky the two is a numeral two not too picky but you can find it on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher anywhere that you can find it i'm tailoring this to people in southwest ohio it's it's every monday and thursday from uh about two to three in the afternoon. It's live on YouTube. You can, like I said, also find it in podcast format, which is how I know a lot of the people that are already listening are listening in podcast format. But in Southwest Ohio, we're hitting every line that's available, especially once college basketball season comes around. We're gonna have a ton of content with you know Wright State, Dayton, Xavier, Miami, UC, NKU, all of that, all of those teams. We'll, we'll cover all the local teams. I'd like to think it's probably one of the only shows where you're getting FCC and Bengals and Reds lines and you're mixing all that in with miami of ohio lines too and all that in in one spot um but i know that everybody here that's listening might be pressing the fast forward button because they're not a gambler but sports betting is coming to ohio on january 1st so i'm tailoring this show not just to the people that know everything and know all the verbiage and know what betting is I, i do know all of that but i'm tailoring this to the beginner too so i'll do some 101 segments. I'll do some things for people that hey, it's coming down the line. Maybe I just want to do it a little bit for entertainment, have some fun, and I want to be able to go to a bar and have a conversation and know what a money line is, know what a spread is. We mix all of that into um to to be a little uh educational, I guess I would say too, so everybody so you know what you're doing.
1: I always say though, too, with people get all worked up if they don't like if they're not in gambling or they don't like it, they get worked up and and talk about like I I just want sports talk. I don't I don't need the gambling. And I always tell them what. In a lot of ways, talking about gambling and the lines, it's like the truest form of sports talk you actually get, because usually people are just debating like who is going to win or lose and why you you get away from a lot of the other drama stuff. And yeah, this, this guy uh, got, you know, has a girlfriend that doesn't exist or whatever, like there's <laughs> not as much of that when you're doing the betting talk. So if you're just a sports person and you want to listen to some local sports yeah. talk, Paul will do a good job with that, I think. And, and I, I will say this is very much like the... Um, the Pat McAfee or the barstool shows where you've got a great setup. I mean, it's all video you can get on YouTube live, interact with you guys in the YouTube chat. Yeah. You've got producers right there with you, but it's multi-camera that's switching throughout the thing. I mean, like the, the production of this deal is high level.
0: Yeah. And it, it, I'm I'm really excited about it. Like, honestly, I, I'm really excited about it. If anybody's listening and, and has anything that they want to hear more of, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. It just got off the ground. Our third episode is, This Thursday, but like the guests that I have lined up are are really high level guys in the sports betting industry and, and professional bettors that have been around the industry for a long time, guys from the Action Network, guys from from all over. Um, the betting industry that really know what they're talking. There's obviously entertainment too. Um, I'm I'm bringing on Mike Schmaltz from Xavier. He's going to come on and, and do a, a weekly couple minute segment. I'm sure you'll come on when we get into co- college. I don't want to speak for you, Rick, but Happily. I, I know anytime you need I, me, I, I know, I'm already I'm, in the
1: chat. I'm already in the chat. You though, are already. Right, you gave some show. winners. You it's gave good. a parlay winner over the weekend. Yeah, but uh, we we missed the Bengals team over we did so, we yeah, did tough well. break
0: but yeah that was a tough break yeah we can but, talk so, we can
1: talk about that in the chat on thursday i will yeah, i will
0: watch your show again absolutely so just just to wrap that up here real quick so th- it's called not too picky uh with a two on it but the uh the show's available on youtube to watch it if you want to watch it it's on chatterbox of sports uh on their youtube channel mondays and thursdays at two or you can just subscribe on a podcast leave a rating and review that would uh that help me out as we get this thing going but but yeah like you said i think that's the most important thing too is that Yes, like we're including the lines and we're including things that we talk about, but it allows you to talk about the game and bring on, you know, I won't just bring on betters. I'll bring on guys that write about the teams that we're covering. I'll bring on guys that are insiders on the team to say, hey, what do you know about this? How might we be able to find an edge on this or or that? So there are, I would say 80% of the elements to it are just talking about the teams and breaking down the games. And then at the end, you say, okay, here's why I'm doing this or that. So, all right. So Jan-
1: January 1st is when betting will be legalized in Ohio. So that's yes. kind of the big date to watch out for as we ramp up. You'll get us ready for that. And uh, you did a great job with your debut show last Thursday. I watched the whole thing. I missed this past Monday. I'll, I'll catch up on that, but um it works out nice for me because we do the skinny podcast in the morning on Thursdays. I edit it and like I finish up basically right around the time you're going to be going on. So then I can yeah. uh, tune in there. So, good so deal. We
0: compare our picks. All right, Rick. Uh, Thanks everybody for listening. I hope I didn't piss too many people off with my Dayton take, but look, they're just—they're harmless. They're harmless to uh, me. How
1: do you feel about Wright State? Ah, uh, be careful here. Uh, swine, Wright's- swine! You hate them. <laughs> just say it. Dayton <laughs> not? not as bad. Wright State the worst.
0: Look, Rick, you just never know who I'm going to have to call a game for in this area. That's Well, that's great. You, I just never know who's going to sign a Dayton paycheck football for me path
1: right now. You're right. You're right. You're I just right, never know who I'm,
0: who's going to sign a paycheck for me on this on this uh, long winding road of broadcasting. All right. Well,
1: I, I can <laughs> right. guarantee you that I think now that you've done a podcast with me, you're off of the right state list, Not <laughs>
0: not because of me, but just because
1: they're watching and they know they're like this guy, like I'm a terrorist over there.
0: Oh, man. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And yeah, practice is starting next week. So I'm sure Rick and I will be doing another podcast. If if we don't do one in the next couple of weeks, we'll certainly do our normal season preview schedule breakdown within, you know, middle to late of October or whatever comes around from that point. So we'll be back. Basketball season right around the corner. Thanks for listening, everybody.